And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Standig Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. Excited to be back with you guys. I'm talking to you guys. It's late Tuesday night. Uh, we just got done uh, a few hours ago, well, several hours ago at this point, uh, with the latest pra- uh, practice session for the Washington football team, and we'll I'll talk about that particular. I'll, I'll talk more about the fifty-three man roster specifically. My thoughts on the bubble. Um, who's on the bubble? How do I sort of gauge the rank of the people on the bubble? We'll get into that. In addition to that, I'm going to talk a little bit about my speaking of the athletic. My new NFL agent survey is up. It's my third annual one. Probably my biggest single. Uh, my, my single biggest assignment work project that I do each year, uh, first year I did it, I believe I interviewed 23 agents. Last year, 30. I had a little help on that one for a little bit. This time, 33 agents. Uh, talked a lot about all kinds of NFL topics. The, the football team, yes, the Washington football team came up. I'll talk about the a little behind the scenes on that. And then the big guest on this episode NFL insider Adam Kaplan, uh, he and I talked about, the. Uh, we went through all the teams in the NFC East, talked about, obviously, Washington as well, and, you know, kind of looked ahead to the season. Where, where, where does Adam, who's really a, not just an NFL insider, but really an NFC East guy, um, what does he think? Where, do, where does Washington fit in? So a lot to get to. Excited to do that with you guys. Um, as always, you can follow uh, me on Twitter at Ben Standig. You can, of course, uh follow this podcast or subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. If you are an iTunes person, I'm going to mention this now as I did the other day. Greatly appreciate it when you guys drop a rating and a review. Promise you it helps me a lot. Helps it helps the, uh, the the potential advertisers, helps my bosses, helps me sleep. It's all good, and I really appreciate that. And then, of course, you can subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, Great time right now. Obviously, there's a survey up. Uh, part one is up today, Tuesday. Part two will probably be up by the time you hear this on Wednesday. And then, of course, we've got all the coverage of the uh, training camp. The season's about to head. So I hope everybody will stay tuned for that. Um, all right, let, let me get to, I guess, first, let me start with the survey. Just to sort of get that out of the way. Um, uh, part, as I, as I said, part one um, was up today. Uh Fun, f- fun questions about um, basically kind of who won and lost the offseason. Um, always popular questions involves general managers. Who is the best? Who do agents trust? Um, who are future agents to watch? But, you know, let, let me actually pause there for a second because I'm running ahead of myself quickly here. Okay, we'll get to the questions. But people, I think, are curious as to why, why should you listen two agents and why am I why did I get into this agent aspect at all 
So let me let me get started with the first part. Why should you listen to Agents? I mean, look, we've all seen the movie Gary Maguire, and it's not the movie itself, but it's sort of the part of the beginning where where Jerry Maguire is kind of explaining. I love the there's a moment where he takes a picture or they show a picture of a, of a player, and he's I think he's holding up a jersey w- with the team, so on. And there's like somebody who's like half in the picture, and that's the agent. Um, you may know some of these agents by name, the, the you know the agents out there in the world, but they're not necessarily in most cases not at all the headliners of the circumstance. They're not the player making the plays on the field. They're not the owner paying the player. They're not the general manager deciding whether to draft a player, sign a player, trade for or trade a player away. They're not the coach who determines how to use the player and so on. But but what they are is at the intersection of all that. They represent the players. They talk to the coaches about the players. They talk to the general managers about the players and negotiate with the general managers and ownership uh, to get to to keep players to have players sign as free agents and so on. So and they talk to not just one team, not just two teams. They're talking to all the teams, and from that there is a lot of information to glean from these individuals. And that's to some degree how I started to think about this when I came over to the Athletic in the in the summer of 2019. Uh, look, I was definitely nervous. The Athletic was a huge step up for me, and you know the amount of impressive writers at the Athletic is or reporters is you know off the charts. I don't have to go through the laundry list of people, but you know if you subscribe to the Athletic, you know, and even if you don't, I mean, look, <laughs> David Aldridge, uh, my direct uh, one one of my direct bosses, you know, Shams Charania, the, the you know the go to NBA newsbreaker, or at least one of the top two, as we all know that Ken Rosenthal, the same on the Major League Baseball side. And then in terms of the writers, just to stick to the NFL, uh, Jeff Zreback, who kills it for the Ravens, uh, Lindsey Jones, who's been on this podcast, a, a great national writer, Dan Pompey, who hopefully I'll have on at this podcast at some point. He just wrote a great Logan Thomas story. It goes on and on and on. And of course, it's not even counting the local writers here, Britt Giroli, Tarek Elbashir, Fred Katz. So anyway, the point is, how am I going to stand out? What am I going to do? So I took an assessment of what I had in my portfolio and you know, I kind of recognized that I had been, as I had already started to cover the football team, I had started to work... Um, connecting with agents and talking to agents and through those conversations you know you, you learn what they know and what they what they think and how they think of the teams and so on and that's led to this survey um it's been really interesting it's been an education in a lot of in a lot of areas um part one as i said had to do with um you know asking them about what general managers who who is good who do they trust? Who don't they trust? People that are up and coming because they deal with the personnel directors and the people who handle the cap and all those types of situations. Um, part two, uh, that, like I said, will be out by the time you guys hear this, I presume, includes what do you make of how Jerry Jones, or what do you make of the Dallas Cowboys now that it's been 25 years since they won a Super Bowl um, under the direction of Jerry Jones? Um, what do you make of John Gruden three years into his 10-year contract? The, it isn't just asking an average fan what do you think of these things, right? It's asking people who are in the know, who talk to these teams, who t- who have players on these teams or did have players on these teams, and and so on. And it, it's just a it's just a really interesting look from people who are I think often overlooked in these types of 
uh, conversations. Um, because I interviewed 33 people, you can't exactly have all all their responses in the story. I had to, I had to trim things out. My editors, uh, you know, were like, hey, this is good, but you got to, you know, <laughs> we can't have a 30,000 word story here, even though sometimes it feels like that's what we do at The Athletic. I kid, I kid. Uh, but in any event, so I tried with each question to have the responses shown represent at least the percentage, so, sort of the flow of how people responded to it. Uh, you know, in terms of the percentage of the responses, yes, no, positive, what, whatever it may be. Um, anyway, I hope I hope you guys will take a look at it. I'll probably talk more about this in the days to come. For Washington specifically, I will just say that they were one of the teams mentioned as as having a really good off season. You can check that out. Um, they were in part two. One specific question is, what do you make of Dan Snyder, actually, let me rephrase that. What do you make of the NFL fining the Washington football team $10 million as a result of uh, an investigation into reports of uh, poor culture, we'll just broadly say, in the organization owned by Dan Snyder? Uh, That will be up. Beyond that, though. I also asked other questions about this team because since I'm the one asking the agents questions and I cover the Washington football team, I also had my own questions about this team. And I will share that in the days that, in, in the days to come, um, what, uh, what, what they told us about the organization. Uh, last thing I'll just say on this, <laughs> one of the questions is, wh- wh- which GM do you trust the least? And I'm going to say my count was, I think four people said, the answer was, well, if Bruce Allen was still here, it would be Bruce Allen, but then they moved on. I imagine maybe somebody said that because they know I cover Washington, but I don't think so. I think people were saying that because it was the truth, and a lot of the responses, even in terms of some of the ones with regard to the question about the NFL fining Washington, uh, was that a lot of the Bruce Allen's name came up as a person that was responsible for what was going on in the building Previously, obviously, Bruce Allen is now gone. Ron Rivera is running the football side. Jason Wright's overseeing the business side. And I do think in general, there is a lot more positive vibes because of that. So you can take that for what it's worth. But I think that's something to keep in mind. Um, So more on this to come. But that's just a little glimpse into what's going on with this survey. I hope everybody takes a look at it. I really appreciate it. If you wanted to subscribe to The Athletic and just haven't gotten to it, you can do me a favor and subscribe to this one. You can go to the part one, subscribe there. There should be a discount code if you do. Um, don't honestly, or not discount code, but a discount rate. So hopefully you guys can check it out. Either way, I really appreciate it. Um, before we get to Adam Kaplan, I'm going to give you a quick couple quick thoughts on the Washington football team bubble right after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. 
From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, so um, rather than just sort of go through some of the basics of of what's been going on at, at training camp. And I'm not dismissing the practices that we've been watching. It's it's good to see. And we're going to get cut off soon. Once we get past the Ravens game, we're essentially in regular season mode, which means we see the first 15 minutes or so, which is more or less stretching. And then that's all we see. So I'm not, not taking for granted these opportunities that we get now, but at the same point, we've now been in the training camp. It's nearly a month. Um, you know, it's a lot of repetition, and because Ron Rivera said this week the goal is to start um, moving towards, uh, start simulating a regular week, it's it's less of the drills that we've seen where we can have some more fun watching the one-on-ones, and there's still some 11-on-11s, but some of that stuff has been dialed back. Now there's more install happening, uh, some other things that are less sexy, I guess, you know, important for them, but less sexy for us. So uh, what I thought instead was... Rather than go through all that, I thought the 53-player roster obviously is, a, is something we all talk about, and and we you know I, we we probably to a certain degree over talk who's going to be on the roster, but the you know I, I don't discount the end of the roster guys. You never know who's going to emerge, and you know you know who would have thought that Cam Curl would have turned in to what he turned into, and you know Cam Sims went from being on the practice squad to starting last year, and. You know, we can go on down the line. Chase Rouillet was a late round pick. He's now, you know, a starting center that was given an extension. So, obviously, all this is important. So, here, here's what I thought I, I would do. I, You know, we, when we talk about the 53, and I just put up, uh, or not just, but I put up a projection before the uh, the Bengals game, It it's not enough to just say they're going to keep this many receivers or specifically these receivers or these cornerbacks or that many linemen, it's, it, you got to compare it across the board. So basically I thought, let me look what, what does the bubble look like? Like if we actually had a, a, a roster bubble, like in totality, so sort of to a degree, eliminate the positions and just see who is in that bubble. And what I came up with was for me, I came up with 21 players for eight spots. And when you look at it like this, I think it does sort of at least a little bit reshape how I view some of this. Um, and I wanted to I want to get into this. So so here here's what I've got. Um, I'm only looking at the positions where I'm not either sure how many players I would keep or exactly who I would keep. For example, I tight end they're going to keep three. I don't even that 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 would be the most I could conceive. And basically, it would be Samus Reyes as the third, or he is released. They take that risk. He clears waivers, and it's Tamara Hemingway or Ricky Seals Jones. I think it would be Samus Reyes as I projected because you can then stash him on IR right after the you know, the day after you put him on the fifty three, and give him time to you know sort of just get more acclimated with everything that's going on, uh, and then you can have you can bring back. Hemingway or, or, or Ricky Seals Jones um, as the third guy, but I'm not counting any of that in what I'm talking about on the bubble. I don't really see that as the bubble. That's just you got to pick one of those guys. I think it's Reyes and so on. The bubble for me, like I said, is does this guy make the position at all? And then I don't know how many I'm keeping at that position. So let's play this out really quickly here before we get to my conversation with Adam Kaplan. 
running back. I, I have Peyton Barber on the bubble, which means I have Jared Patterson on the roster as one of the three running backs. Barber would be running back four. Wide receiver. I think there's five receivers safe. I, I'm gonna. You guys are smart. I don't think I have to go through them all. Uh, the the bubble. I have four on the bubble. Antonio Gandy Golden, DeAndre Carter, Dax Milne, Isaiah Wright. It's for one or two spots. Four players there. The offensive line. I have one to two spots that I'm in that ever in question. The people there: Tyler Larson or Keith Ishmael, but also David Sharp. Those would be the players I would have on the bubble. Defensive line, I've got eight. I think that James Smith-Williams and William Bradley King are the seventh and the eighth guys. I don't know if they would keep another one. I had a ninth defensive lineman because of the positional importance. So I had Shaka Tony, but I've got Shaka Tony, Casey Tuhill, who's been hurt and therefore probably limits his opportunities to make the team. But those two, along with Daniel Wise, on the bubble. Linebacker. I had them keeping five. I imagine that six would be the ideal, but in terms of clearing waivers, I think Jared Norris or Jordan Kanasek can probably clear waivers, so they're, to me, are on the bubble. Um, Cornerback, I think we know who the top four are. I've got either one to two spots open here. Torrey McTire, to me, would would be the leader based on just how he's played so far in camp and in the games, but also where he's lining up. He's been starting when like William Jackson has not practiced. Um, it didn't practice today. He wasn't in the game the other day. McTire ended up starting um, on the outside um, in practice with St. Juice and Fuller in the slot. So I keep that uh, in mind there, along with Troy Apke, Daryl Roberts, Danny Johnson. And then you have safety. I, I put two to three in, in, in doubt here. I'm including DeShazer Everett here. I suspect he makes the roster, but I always wonder, um, especially when you have a guy like Derek Forrest who was drafted, who's a special teams guy, first to safety second, along with Jeremy Reeves and Cole Luke. So that's 21 for eight spots. Um, I, I think, you know, just to move through some of this, you know, offensive line, you're keeping either Larson or Ishmael. I've had Larson because of the, um, he's just been playing ahead of Ishmael and they drafted Ishmael last year, but I don't know. I'm not, I don't know what I need. To, why? I don't know why you'd be playing Larson ahead of him. If Ishmael is going to make the team instead, it doesn't seem like that makes sense to me, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mentioned the cornerback. I think Tory McTire is good. The question is, are they keeping a six cornerback on the initial roster? Do they, do they fear that some of these guys wouldn't clear waivers? At safety, I've got DeShazer Everett and Derek Forrest on the team. That gives me five safeties. It leaves Jeremy Reeves. I'm sorry, Derek, DeShazer Everett and Derek Forrest, if that's not what I said. That leaves Jeremy Reeves on the outside. That's tough, but unless Everett or Forrest aren't kept, I don't know how I'm keeping six safeties. Maybe, but I don't know if I can do that. Um, And again, just because you cut them doesn't mean you can't bring them back. Jeremy Reeves was basically on the practice squad all last year, and nobody else made a move on him. Now, maybe somebody would now. You never know, but it's something to keep in mind. Wide receiver. I've had Antonio Gandy-Golden on on the roster, and I want to believe that that's still the case. He's talented. He's got potential. But, I don't know, there's also some limitations with him. Um, You know, it seems a little little stiff sometimes. Uh, Not sure what to make of him. Um, when he's getting pressured by a cornerback, uh, and you know they have other they have other guys. 
Um, you know, that they have other receivers. So I still have Gandy Golden on, but we'll see. The, the I've, I've leaned on having a seventh receiver because of the punt return aspect. I think it's DeAndre Carter. I know Dax Milne has been getting more attention. I'm not just counting him. I think Dax Milne's been really interesting. And if this was two years ago, he could be the, this version of Trey Quinn. However, he was the penultimate pick in the draft. And he plays a position that is just overloaded in the NFL these days. Every team has some sort of Dax Milne type, you know, young, off-the-radar receiver that they find interesting. I say every team. I mean, more or less. I think I would imagine that's true if you really, if we really looked at this. So, to me, I've, I, as much as I like Dax Milne, and Ron Rivera mentioned him along with some others as players who have stood out during the preseason games. But I just think they could probably get him through the practice squad. Same with Isaiah Wright who made this team last year as a surprise player. And the same thing, Rivera mentioned Wright as somebody that's been standing out, along with Troy Apke, along with Jared Patterson, along with McTire. I just I just would imagine that Isaiah Wright slips through um, waivers to get to the practice squad. That's a guess that I'm probably willing to take, but we'll see. We have some time, and we'll see what happens in this last game. Um, so where does that leave us now? Based on what I just said to you, I think I've only got one spot left. And the real question for me at this point is, am I keeping Shaka Tony, presumably, or one of the other defensive linemen, but presumably Shaka Tony, or am I keeping David Sharp as the 10th offensive lineman, or is somebody staying as my sixth cornerback? If I keep a sixth cornerback... I know some of you are not going to want to hear this. I think the answer is Troy Apke. Troy Apke, you got to stop looking at him as a fourth-round pick who bombed at safety and view him as the Jared Norris or the Jordan Kanasek, the guy who is a special teams force, a player that the coaches like a lot in that role, and he has made some plays at cornerback. Now, I will say today in practice, he had one of those plays where it was a high lob sort of pass, and he once again seemed to lose him lose him lose his bearings, and the ball got over his head. Um, I, it might have been Gandy Golden. No, I think it was Tony Brown who caught that one. Uh, so, look, I'm not suggesting he's going to be Daryl Green, but he's got some versatility in the secondary, and he can play special teams. So that's my question. Am I keeping the ninth defensive lineman with some upside as a pass rusher? Am I keeping a tenth offensive lineman simply because offensive tackles are, you know, it's a valuable position? Or am I keeping a sixth cornerback uh, who can play special teams in Apke. That's no that's no diss to Danny Johnson or Daryl Roberts or to Jeremy Reeves or to some others. I just think that's how I would look at it right now. But we'll see. There's a game to go. There's some practices to happen. And we'll see. And I'm definitely trying to get a sense around the league as to what other people kind of think about this. So we'll see how that plays out. But that's just how, my, how I look at the bubble right now, Tuesday night, um, going into Wednesday. So we'll see. If you have thoughts on this, hit me up on Twitter at Ben Standig. I would love to know what you guys think. Who you? I mean, obviously, look, you guys aren't watching practice, so whatever you guys think, you did watch the game, so I'm not discounting that. But you're basing a lot of it on what I tell you and what other reporters are telling you. So I get that. I was in your boat for many a year. I get that, and I'm curious what your what your insight is, what your intuition is. Hit me up uh, on the Twitter. All right, um, enough of that. Let's get to my conversation with Adam Kaplan, NFL insider. We talked about the NFC East. We talked about this team, most important people, most important questions for each of the teams. What is it going to come? What is this division race going to come down to? What does he think about not just Fitzpatrick, but Ron, Ron Rivera and the organization as a whole, as he talks to other teams around the league, all that and more right now here on the standard room only podcast. 
All right. Um, joining us on the podcast, he is a go-to NFL insider who knows all things about the NFC East in particular. He is, you can find him all over the world. He's on a lot of, on Sirius XM and on Twitter. He is at Kaplan NFL. He is at, he is Adam Kaplan. Sir, good to see you. I saw you briefly in Richmond. Didn't have a chance to talk to you long enough there. So I'm glad we can catch up. You, you, we were just discussing, you've been running around the league. How, uh, how, how are you doing? You feel like you're in, uh, you're, in, you're you're ready for week one? Yeah, Ben, good to see you. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, we're, we're, we're close. I mean, we're just uh, over two weeks away from week one. Um, it's been an interesting training camp. So, you know, not having that fourth preseason week is kind of interesting. I, I, I like that. A um, lot, lot of joint practice, most I've ever seen. In fact, I think we had 22 teams working with each other this summer, which is good. And a lot of them did last week. That was the biggest week for the, the joint practices. And uh, I, I love them. It's the favorite thing I do for, for the summers, these joint practices, because you save time and money. And I get to see a lot of right. people. So it's a good thing. Yeah, the joint practices were in vogue. We didn't have that here in Washington. I think for Washington, because they were so behind on the vaccine situation early on, I think they were just probably too hesitant to to, to go there. Uh, but yeah, I, I know for me, what are we in the third week of training camp? If I say I'm bored, I don't want that to come across as anybody going, oh boy, you don't appreciate your job. I just mean like it's very repetitive at this point. We're seeing the same one-on-one drills with the receivers. We're saying the same 11-on-11s, 11 the same people. Uh, and, you know, in the preseason games, it's not like we're seeing the starters play a ton. So, it, it, it you know, it's getting a bit monotonous. But one, one, one week left, more or less, of this one preseason game to go. And then things start getting into regular season mode. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about the NFC East, talk to you about, about your thoughts on Washington. But I guess since you've been all over the place, I, I will just ask, what's the most interesting thing you've come across at this point? Whether it's a player you've been unexpected to see, a conversation you had with somebody, a drill, whatever it is. What's been the most interesting, unique thing, whatever it is that you've seen in camp? Well, Ben, camp? It, you talked about whatever it is. So the first thing that came to mind is how short practices are. Um, I don't think the only practice that was over two hours and I'd, I'd have to, have, I didn't time it, but it seemed like it was just over two hours. Um, but barely, uh, was last week. They had a joint practice, the Ravens and Panthers. And those are two teams, by the way, that practice the longest, um, John Harbaugh runs the longest practices has for as long as he's been the head coach and Matt rule, uh, talking to the Panthers, he believes in, you know, he, he worked for Tom Coughlin. He believes in longer practices. He, he just took a page out of Coughlin's book. So that, that was when I say it might've been two fifteen, but nevertheless, um, whether it's between two and two 15, I mean, I went to an Eagles practice was between an hour and an hour and 15. I mean, I mean, excuse me, an hour and 10 an hour and 15, which is unbelievably short, but that's the way the, the very few practices now Ben are two hours. They're just, they say they're two hours, like on the sheet, but it winds up being an hour 40 hour 45, sometimes again, shorter. So that was the trend around the league with uh, the teams I saw this summer. Yeah, interesting. I mean, th- th- these guys were pretty consistent in the sense of like it would start at nine o'clock, end at eleven. It does feel like it's gotten a little bit shorter as we've gone on, and I guess pre- that that nine to eleven includes ten minutes of stretching, so exactly. it's not like yeah. that. And then even within that, like when special teams are going, the offense and defense are kind of off on the side resting, so it's not full two hours of just going hardcore. And that's not even factoring like they don't have pads on. For a lot of the practices so yeah it definitely doesn't feel like uh your you know your father's uh <laughs> or you know your, your grandfather's uh old school practices where these guys are going 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 hardcore 
Yeah, what I was going to say, Ben, to add to that was when I first started covering the league in 2000, every team had two-a-days. Now, what it was generally was, okay, if you practiced in the morning three, three and a half hours, you had a walkthrough or a generally a special teams practice in the afternoon and vice versa. But there, most teams were hitting back in the early 2000s, and the Eagles were a team that did it a, a lot. Tom Coughlin did it, uh, whether he's with the Jaguars or with the Giants. Although with the Giants, it was less and less and less because of the rules. But it's just funny now. It's so rare to see any hitting. We have what's called for the folks out there, thud. Thud. Most teams have this where you don't take the player to the ground, but you see an elbow, a shoulder. They be, they're physical. The running back gets pushed or shoved, but they won't take them to the ground. But that's about as physical as it gets these days. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely interesting. And I mean, the fact that last year there wasn't even any preseason games. You only have these practices. Um, you know, on the one hand, it, I mean, look, I think these coaches are constrained because of the various rules in the CBA and there's only so much they can do. I'm sure they would go more, go, go more if they could, but they can't. And there is also always the injury concern. You don't want to get guys hurt. And in, in, in these scenarios, you want them at least if they're going to get hurt being a game, you know, nobody wants to get hurt, but um, so I get it, but yeah, it is definitely uh, different. Um, All right. So I wanted to take advantage of the fact that you, you definitely know this division you were at Washington, um, early on as well. But I want to start with some uh, some of the other places. The Eagles are – I'll go sort of from my perception of the bottom, up, yeah. and the Eagles are a team that you talk about yeah. all, all the time. Um, I I view this as three teams can win this division. I don't put the Eagles in that category, so I'm sort of curious if you – okay, if, yeah. if you concurred. I, I, I guess – but look, they feels like they're rebuilding, so I'm not even arguing that they should be. I'm not acting like they're trying to compete, and I'm just discounting them. It feels like they kind of are – starting over and, and that's a, probably a reasonable thing to do after the way things kind of fell apart under the under Peterson and then they move on from Carson Wentz and now you've got a young quarterback in Jalen Hurts um I, I guess like my question is like it by the way Washington schedule is so weird that talking about any of these teams is almost irrelevant other than the Giants in terms of what they are because by the time Washington faces them for the last five weeks of the season who knows what any of these teams will look like but that said what what's the Eagles I guess upside this year. They do have a good defensive line. You guess Jalen Hurts is, I guess, interesting to some. Like if they are to become interesting and potentially a team, even if it's just a pain in the butt for a team like Washington late in the year, what's the what's the thing that has to happen for them to be kind of interesting? Yeah. So look, they're in. I went. They're not in a full rebuild. I would call them a semi rebuild. Um, you know, they they unfortunately got very old uh, after the Super Bowl. They what they did is they try to run it back. And yeah, they did make the playoffs in, in 18 and 19, but um, they didn't get back to the Super Bowl. So now they're in a semi-rebuild where they they have three offensive linemen. There's three of their starters are th- over 30 years old. So they, they definitely have to get younger. They have the youngest receiver core. In fact, they're one of two NFL teams to not have a vested veteran wide receiver. So yeah, they're going, they're going young there, which they needed to do for years with Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson gone. Now, now they've gotten younger. But they've got a very experienced D-line, actually probably one of the best in the National Football League. But the problem is that you, Jalen Hurts, though I, he's had an interesting summer, actually pretty good. Um, he's definitely improved. He was never drafted to be the starter. You remember, they traded up to get him. Um, they took him late in the second round. Uh, they want to make sure they got him, but they never really thought that he would be their future starter. Remember the, the year before they drafted Hertz, they extended went Carson Wentz's contract for 32 million a year. I mean, it's again, they just, they want to upgrade their backup position. And un, unfortunately, um, if things unraveled with Wentz and here we are with Hertz and 
and he's the guy of the season. Then we'll go from there, though. The, the rumors persisted this offseason. They're definitely true that the Eagles had interest in Deshaun Watson. But uh, with his legal situation, that, 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 that situation seems to be on hold. Um, but go, getting back to the Eagles here, uh, they're just a team that's in transition. It's probably the best way to look at it. And I agree with your assessment. They're definitely the fourth team. There's no question. But again, this is the worst division of football. That a team that had a losing record made the playoffs last season. So you can't completely discount Philly from being a surprise. But if you look at the other rosters, they're just clearly better. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can move off of them. Let's go. Let's go to the Giants. Um, so on the one hand, you know, look, they were kind of in the same boat that Washington was in last year. They, you know, obviously weren't particularly good, but they, you know, they 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 held their own down the stretch, at least in the games that I saw. They were maybe a player or two away from you know winning the the, the lousy the lousy division, but it didn't work. It worked out. I think you could look at their offseason and say they made a bit a lot of splashy moves and maybe. These are the types of things that can put them over the top. On the other hand, I don't know. I, I'm doing, um, I mean, I guess I'll just say here, I, it, we're talking on a Monday night on Tuesday. Um, I have this new NFL agent survey that's coming out, and I talked to a bunch mm. of people around the league, and the Giants came up a few times, and I don't think people were, like, overly impressed. Dave Gettleman's reputation, among at least among the agents, is pretty shaky, it seems like. And, I, you know, the Dory Jackson signing, I remember back at the time, people were thought it was yeah. some people just thought it was really a massive overpay. And even the Kenny Galladay to give him all that money that late into free agency was kind of odd. But all that said, they do have some talented players. It, a lot's going to depend on Daniel Jones. Where does he go? But also Saquon Barkley still is in practice. I don't really have a feel for this team at all. I feel like it's either like they could really contend, maybe be a nine win team, or they might just be a disaster. Uh, because there's just a lot of things that could potentially implode. Where are you at on this team? Yeah, there are a lot of questions, but there's a lot of upside. I mean, you add Galladay, I know he's come back from hamstring injury, so they need to get him on the field, but he gives them a quality, go get the football type of receiver. Big Darius Slayton fan number 86 on the other side, who's explosive, but so he got put he got put in position where he had to do more than he, he could really do. He's really not a lead receiver like Galladay. Now that they've got Galladay, once he gets in there with Slayton, Sterling Shepard is an outstanding slot receiver. Canaris Tony is just not ready yet. Um, they're going to have to figure out a way to get him on the field once once he just gets fully healthy. John Ross, who could who could run, but he's always hurt, is there? Right. Um, seemingly always hurt, but they, they've got speed now. There's no question. They've got playmaking. Um, Barkley, you know, he is work. He's actually practicing, but the problem is because he had a worsened an ACL injury. You just don't know when he feels that he's ready to go because he's got to kind of tell the trainers that he feels good that he's practicing when he knows he's ready I don't know that he'll be the same player this season so you're right it, it you got that issue there uh, the offensive line you know everybody's back uh, plus Nate Solder's back from the opt-out who's playing right tackle now but you, you just don't know if this offensive line could even be average they were below average last year probably a bottom 10 offensive line uh, but they're back hopefully it'll be better this time around that that to me is an issue that that Protection for Daniel Jones and Daniel Jones has more turnovers than touchdown passes through uh, two seasons. So he needs to play better, but he's very gifted. Good athlete for his position, really good size, good arm, but um, inaccuracy, just up and down with his, his, his accuracy was a problem, but he's gifted. He's got to play better. It's a big year because this will go a long way into whether they, they roll over his fifth year option next year. So this is a big year for him and Dave Gettleman too. And then defensively, they're terrific. Patrick Graham, by the way, will be a head coaching candidate next year. He did a phenomenal job. Absolutely phenomenal job. He, to me, was the team MVP. Forget a player. This guy was Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator. Um, 
yeah no the daniel jones thing is fascinating i know like people have sort of you know dumped on him over the last couple of years but like because i was always comparing him to dwayne haskins i'm like i watched Daniel jones there are, there, there are traits in there that i can see of a winning quarterback whereas with haskins it was just a constant like dumpster fire to be honest and uh, on and off the field uh where the jones i'm like okay look i get it he's got some struggles and he may never get there but i see reasons to be optimistic but they just have to do get him some help they did that and now we'll just have to see what he can do i kind of feel like that with saquon barkley it almost feels like of the non-quarterbacks he may be like the key to the division because if he can come back and take pressure off the quarterback then that could be a huge deal he obviously was one of the best running backs in the league but on the other hand who knows at this point what you know where he's going to be at physically until he actually gets back out on the field and starts doing some things um all right let's go to then dallas it's almost too simplistic to just say (laughs) What's going on with Dak Prescott um, and the various injuries? And, and you know, I was watching, I, I think I'm an episode behind Hard Knocks, but I was watching mm-hmm. the first one where, you know, he's got this uh, elbow thing or whatever it is, um, yada, yada, yada. And I know the defense is like a huge story for them. The, the defense last year was a disaster, but uh, there's no Andy Dalton there to, to back up Dak Prescott if things do go south. And obviously he's got to be healthy. So what's your sense of, that situation because it, you know, he is probably the player that may swing this division as much as anybody. Yeah. He has a weird uh, shoulder injury. Uh, the stri- his uh, muscle strain, it's kind of an odd spot. So that makes it a little bit more difficult to forecast exactly what he'll look like once the season starts. I mean, Jerry Jones is steadfast that he's going to be fine, but we have to see it. Now he did very well before he hurt his shoulder uh, coming back from the, um, the ankle injury, uh, which is devastating, obviously broken, dislocated ankle. That's a, that's a bad one, but he, he did a great job in rehab and give their medical team credit for rehabbing him. He did great. Um, I don't worry about their offense. As long as he's highly serviceable, it doesn't have to be great again. As long as he's good and Elliot needs to bounce back with all the fumbles. I don't know what happened last year, Ezekiel Elliott, but assuming he'll bounce back, their, their offense will be great. The problem is their defense, not a very good defensive line other than tank Lawrence. They're just not very gifted. Uh, Randy Gregory, now they're going to try to make him a pass rusher and more of an on-the-ball stand-up linebacker, uh, to me, is what he needs to be. And Michael Parsons will be probably in the – you know, I vote in a couple preseason polls. He'll probably, if not my number one guy, but he'll be my top five for defensive rookie of the year. He's gifted. He, he's really good. Um, the problem that I have is I just don't think they're gifted enough on defense where they're so top-heavy on offense. They're, they're, their offense will carry the defense, but – the one area where they're going to be better is in the secondary because they've added so much talent. Kelvin Joseph is a second-round corner. Uh, Nashawn Wright, who's really interesting, number 40 for Cowboy fans. He's tall. He's had a good camp. Trayvon Diggs, Stefan's younger brother, who's really good. Safety is a little bit questionable. So, But, again, overall, there's more talent in the secondary. I just don't think they're going to have a good enough pass rush. And I don't. their D tackles are not good enough. I, I don't think it's going to happen for them. And I, I think that's why – I'm leaning towards the Giants to surprise people and beat beat out the Washington football team for the NFC least. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, I was gonna I was gonna ask you that. That's interesting. Um, let me ask you this since I have you here to, to have a second question on Dallas. One of the questions in the survey was just simply, "What did people think? What do people make of the of the Dallas Cowboys organization under Jerry Jones now that it's been 25 years since they've won a Super Bowl?" Uh, some people think Jerry does a great job and like he, he treats his players great, does everything he can, can't win Super Bowl of their year. And other people think, ah, you know, he's playing fantasy football over there. He, <laughs> he needs to let football people run the decisions and too impulsive, whatever it may be. What's, what's your view? Obviously 
they had a lot of success at the start, but if we're, if we're judging by winning the Super Bowl, which I think for some franchises you can't, but if for this one, I do think you can kind of be that way. They're not even really in the mix for the Super Bowl, let alone winning it uh, consistently. So, but, but what is your view of, of Dallas? There's a lot of ways to look at it. How do you kind of view what, what's been happening here under Jerry? Yeah, it's interesting. I know they haven't had the success they would have liked since the Super Bowl run in the mid-90s. Um, not too many games over 500, by the way, since uh, the late 90s. But the thing that Jerry did, it was really smart. As he stopped getting heavily involved in free agency. In fact, it should be when we get to opening day of their, their 22 starters on offense and defense combined, it should have around 17 or 18 of their starters are either drafted or signed as an undrafted free agent by the Cowboys. So that's the way you build your football team. You build it through the draft and you supplement for free agency. Um, that's what Jerry did is done in recent years uh, for the most part. And that that's the way you got to do it. But the problem is the coaching hasn't been very good. The team has underachieved for years. And I think what happened was with Jason Garrett, he waited way too long. It's funny. People knocked him for being too impatient. No, he, yeah, he criticizes his coaches publicly because he's the head, the owner and the GM, but he waited too long to make a move and, and hire a new coach. And Mike McCarthy was a Super Bowl winner. I know people were not happy with McCarthy last year, um, but Dan Quinn comes in bringing his version of the Seattle defense. They're going to be better defensively. This, this, um, this talent level and this, this defense is, is better than it was last year. I, I don't know. It's going to be good enough. Again, they don't have enough blue chip players on defense, but they're better there offensively than no, they're going to be good. But overall the, the, around the league, um, there's, there's respect for them in, in that they, they draft fairly well, develop the players to a certain point, but the criticism you get is on, on Jerry in terms of making, understanding that you got to pull the trigger on a coach at a certain point. One, one, one take that somebody had on, on them. And I think it makes sense because of what I've witnessed here in Washington. And that is because everybody knows that Jerry is running the show that the head coach is not nearly as powerful as he might be in other yeah. spots. And because sure. of that, the players are kind of like, eh, that used to be here. I remember when like, um, when Jim Zorn, obviously <laughs> Jim Zorn area oh. did not exactly work out, yeah. but, but he yeah. tried to tell Clinton Portis, I believe, as, as I recall, Hey, we need to do things a certain way. And Clinton Porters went, what are you talking about? He went straight to Dan Snyder. The coach then got more or less yelled at. And from that point on, he was somewhat neutered. And obviously things kind of went, they went. And it does feel like with Dallas that there's some of that, that, you know, whether it's Garrett or McCarthy, who obviously won a Super Bowl, but people kind of know they're not really running the show. So you can kind of go over their head to, to, to Jerry Jones. Um, in any event, in this, although play, I don't, I don't, I don't see that Ben happening oh, okay. here with McCarthy. There's no way that a player's going to do that. Like Jim Zorn never <laughs> right. should have been head coach. Jim Zorn's right. a good assistant coach, a quarterback guy, uh, but the, the, and that was just a mistake. That was one of the many mistakes Dan Snyder's made over the years is is just not picking the right coaches. We know we know we, we don't have like 50, 15 hours to discuss the issues with Washington over the years, <laughs> uh, which are sad, unfortunately, for Washington fans, but. Um, Dan will spend the money though. Uh, that that's not the issue. The issue is having the right people in charge. And, uh, right now I, I like the setup that they have. Well, and that is the, you know, sort of to, to go into Washington. I mean, it's been a pretty radical, you know, change. Obviously, if you look at it from the ownership level, it's the same story and we don't have yeah. to get into that. It was a big story, obviously this year, um, with the NFL, NFL looking into the organizational culture and, and we've talked about that on this podcast, but in terms of the other parts of it, the football side, obviously it's very different. Um, the thing I've talked about that I like the most is you have the, the front office and the coaching staff are on the same page in part because Ron Rivera has say over both. Um, yep. And he's gone and hired 
people who are considered to be quality people and Martin Mayhew and Marty Herney. Um, and they've already, we're doing some good drafts. I mean, as much as Bruce Allen kind of gets uh, crapped on for reasonable reasons, um, you know, whatever he get credit for the front office or the scouting department with him started to find some players. Terry McLaurin was here, John Allen, Deron Payne, and so on. But here they are. They have on paper, I think Washington could be really interesting. Um, they obviously the defensive line, the four first round picks, they draft Jamin Davis, who looks like he could take a minute before he can develop, but okay. Um, you know, the, the, they add William Jackson to a secondary that's got Kendall Fuller, Landon Collins has made a remarkable comeback. And then on offense, where they really labored last year, they have a better quarterback than what they had. I'm not saying they have a great quarterback, but they have a better quarterback and they have a bunch more playmakers, especially once Curtis Samuel comes out. And yet we're deep into the training camp and I'm so into the weeds, Adam. I really don't even know what to make of this team at this point. I need the outside opinion. Huh. I talked about this with John Kime the other day on this podcast. Like, I still don't know what to make of the offense. They haven't scored a touchdown. The first team in the, the, the two preseason games, not alarming, but notable. Um, so I'm curious from your perspective, you were at training camp and you obviously yeah. study, study these, these guys, you have thoughts on Fitzpatrick as well. Wh- what do you make of Washington broadly and, um, and, you know, for this season? I, I mean, I hate to make it so plain, but it, I really believe it's the case. How far the team goes is how well Ryan Fitzpatrick plays. Fitz, you know, it's interesting talking to uh, teams toward free agency, multiple teams told me this is the, his tape last year was the best they had ever seen. It was really good for Miami, but the, the problem is you're asking him for a 17-game season to be the guy. It's highly unlikely he'll start 17 games. It, it, it's, it's just based on his history of imploding. He's very streaky. You know, you, Fitzpatrick, Fitztragic, and all that stuff. Uh, to put the comedy aside, the guy's got he's, – he's gifted. But there's sometimes he just implodes where you scratch your head like, what was he thinking? I talked to a coach who worked with him many years ago who loves him. He said, there's sometimes he just, you, he just does what he's going to, he does what he wants. He just, he forces throws. He, he, you scratch your head. Like, what was this guy thinking? He just wants to make the play, but you, you know, there's enough talent between McLaurin Humphreys, who we work with in Tampa. who's a pretty good slot receiver when he's healthy. He's unfortunately he's had a lot of email who obviously Scott Turner and, 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 uh, and Ron Rivera know him from their days in Carolina, who's a certain type of receiver, though he's time speed is good. He doesn't play to that downfield. He's not a guy that's going to win down. He's going to be short, intermediate, run after the catch, a, a handoff, you know, what, whatever you want to do. He's gadget stuff. He's very gifted. It's a big contract they gave him. Uh, they're good. I think they'll be good enough at receiver. And De'Ami Brown, who I absolutely love, is one of my favorite receivers for this draft. So they'll be good at receiver. But the problem is their offensive line. I, I, I struggle at left tackle. I just do. I remember talking to the Bears um, about Charles Leno. I mean, I, I could tell you in March, he probably wasn't going to return. Um, he, they just wanted to move on. I mean, think of it. They, they, they wanted him, you know, they wanted to move on. They didn't even have their, their you know, they, they were hoping that Tevin Jenkins would be ready for second rounder. They just didn't think Leno was a starting tackle anymore, as, as was the case with most teams. Guys are great stories, a former seventh round pick, but We'll have to see uh, what happens there. And you know, Cornelius Lucas has been a great story, former Bear, uh, shown that he could be a valuable backup spot starter like he did last year, start if you need him to. But I, I just don't know about this offensive line. We know Rulier and, and Sheriff uh, you know, are certainly going to be solid starters. But other than that, you know, Flowers, Schweitzer, Cosby, I like. Um, talked to a bunch of teams about, uh, about him. Really well-liked player. Uh, for this draft second rounder and yeah. I would assume he'll be good at right tackle but um, left tackle to me 
and left guard are, are ones I got to see. So this is why this is what I'm talking about getting the fresh perspective, because so much of our focus has been on what's happening at quarterback. Um, I never buy, bought into for one second, this idea of a competition that Rivera was trying to claim was going to happen and it never has happened and all that. But, um, but still like all the Ryan Fitzpatrick stuff is, is real. We haven't been able to see Curtis Samuel out there. Antonio Gibson was coming off of a toe injury from last year. He's looked fine, but nonetheless, that was love him though. I'm a big yeah. fan. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think he's got a chance to be one of the better, you know, elite running backs in the league, at least from like a fantasy football type production yeah. standpoint. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but yeah, the offensive line, I do think is 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 does have some question marks. And because we because Morgan Moses was released and Sam Cosme took over, much of the focus has been over there. He struggled a little bit probably when you saw him um, in Richmond. He probably was not at his, at, at, you know, he, he was going through some 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 rough patches, as you would expect with a rookie who's who's coming to training camp to face Chase Young and Montez Sweat. But he has progressed throughout. And I think he's been pretty solid so far in his two games. And I think from all that, we've sort of gone like we're just kind of allowed Charles Leno to get by without a ton of scrutiny. So it's interesting that that's where you went. I've had other people tell me that as well. And I've just been kind of like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll get to that later. He's only 29, uh, though. That's the thing about Leno, though, Ben. He's only 29. And he's certainly capable of turning his career around. I mean, he's a bit of, it was a really good story, but that's a heck of a draft pick um, to develop a guy who's a seventh round pick. I mean, that to be your, your, your longtime left tackle, it's a good job by the Bears, but. You know, he wasn't, he just was clearly not as good. The tape showed that. So he needs to bounce back, but you know, offensively, they could be, they could be fascinating. Um, and I love Jared Patterson. I was a big fan of his uh, coming to the draft and he looks like Boston Scott, very similar player, a little bit more explosive than Boston Scott and watch. And I know everybody, if you're a Washington fan, you already know about him, but he's a guy, if you don't follow Washington closely, you're going to hear a lot about him. Do not be surprised if he plays a lot. When I say a lot, don't be surprised if he, Sometimes plays over Peyton Barber would not surprise me at certain points of the season. Yeah, I, I agree. To me, he's their third running back right now. Barber is this niche yep. short yardage guy, and we'll see if, if they keep four or not. But, um, yeah, I agree. Patterson's looked super fun. He's been interesting. Um, it's impossible to not root for a guy like that who's like five foot nothing. Whatever <laughs> they list him at, he's not that tall. And, uh, <laughs> and, he's, and he's yet he's been effective in these in practices and these uh, preseason games. Um, just curious, you obviously talk to people all, all around the league when yeah. Washington comes up, I'm sure in the last 10, 20 years, a lot of jokes, a lot of, lot, lot of what the hell is going on here. Um, I, and I'm not going to pretend that it's all fixed, but Ron Rivera. And again, we'll, we're separating the business side from the football side. Ron Rivera gives them a more professional view. He's one, he's gotta be one of the most popular people in the entire NFL. Uh, I, I'd never hear anybody say anything negative yep. about him. And look, he's had success two-time coach of the year. He, he took Carolina to a 15 and one season. And yeah, even though last year, Washington once went seven and nine, it was good enough to win a bad division, but they also came on late. They won five of their last seven and he got that team to stay with them despite everything that was happening with this, with this place. So I'm just curious when you talk to people, what, what do people say about Washington now? Do they, do they talk about it still in the terms of boy Dan Snyder and go from there, or do they say, "Hey, Ron Rivera really is kind of turning this thing around"? No, they they feel pretty good about Ron. Ron's a perfect guy to weather the storm of what had happened over really Dan, Dan Snyder. I mean, he's the perfect guy, perfect steward. I I remember doing reporting on on Ron's contract, and I I was stunned that they gave him personnel control. I I. I'm not real big on that, uh, just from covering this business for now 21 years. It doesn't normally work out well. Andy Reid has had it off and on in his career. Bill Belichick obviously deserves it because 
six time Super Bowl winner, but um, it doesn't always work. Mike Holmgren got it, did not do a good job at all when he when he had it, the power uh, with Seattle. Um, and he wanted it badly. That 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 was one thing he was missing. So um there the the reasons to do it, reasons not to do it. But Ron, what I did like is he brought in Marty Herney, um, who's a guy that obviously he was very close to. I worked with Marty one year at ESPN, great guy, um, longtime personnel guy. And then uh, Martin Mayhew is a guy I remember. I'm old enough to remember as a player. And obviously he's a, he's been, he's on contracts, personnel and everything. I, Jason Wright is the president. I just like the good, really good people. Ben, as long as you've covered this team, I know you don't need to single out anyone, one person, but as a, it's just a front office football operations and team president wise. Can you, can you remember all of them? Yeah, no, I mean, the, I mean, I've, I've used the term clown car many a time to describe everything that's kind of gone over there. And like I, the, the basic story is like the most important job in this, in this town. I mean, it's not the speaker of the house. <laughs> it's not the secretary of defense. It's who is the person that has Dan Snyder's ear for the early part of his regime. It was a lot of Vinnie Serrato was okay. the guy that got in there and, sure. you know, things kind of went awry from there. Then the last decade, it was Bruce Allen and, you know, Bruce Allen was supposed to come in here and be a guy who had a lot of experience and this, that, and the other. Maybe there were a couple things here and there that, that did well, but it was still way too much of this, uh, you know, just reckless, irresponsible, d- d- I don't know what was happening situation. And now across the board, I mean, again, we'll see. Ultimately, Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew will get judged on how they draft, right? And things yep. like along those lines or the free agents sure. that they that, that that they bring in. Um uh, you know, uh, Jason Wright's going to be uh, on the business side of things, but he's already, he's, you know, we all talk about, he's given more, he gives tons of interviews between Jason Wright and Rivera. There can't be a, a president and, and head coach in the league combined to give more interviews than those two guys do, but they also are putting a better spin, a better face on this thing for the fan base. That's been so disgruntled for years and just outwardly to anybody. Now, when, when you hear Washington is going to do an interview with a national organization, you don't think like, oh boy, here, <laughs> here comes the car wreck. It's sure. going to be a productive conversation one way or the other. And I think that's all good. And, you know, again, it's all, all it takes is Dan Snyder to say, hey, you know what, I'm getting, I'm back in charge here. Uh, I, I've gone away for a minute. We're going to redo some things. Um, and by the way, I do think that's what, the interesting thing for Washington, not to be negative. They were seven and nine last year. They have a schedule this year that has a ton of, uh, of the best quarterbacks in the league. In a four-week stretch, they face Mahomes, Rodgers, and Brady in some order, uh, let alone Justin Herbert and Russell Wilson and, some, and Josh Allen. So it's conceivable Washington could be good and, and, and win six games, right? And if they have a year like that where two years into Rivera, they haven't had a winning season, regardless of whatever, does Dan Snyder get back in here? And then if, if that happens, they need another quarterback. How are they getting another quarterback? I mean, well, they got to get a quarterback next year. I don't care what they say. I don't care how Fitz plays. They, ha- they don't have a choice. They have to get a quarterback next year. That's the first thing. Number two, this is really funny. So when I was at Cleveland, I ran into someone in the front office and he goes, hey, man, you, you know, I haven't seen you at our camp. And I go, yeah. It's, it's, I said, I haven't been here in a while, but it's always, it's always nice to go to this camp when there's not a controversy where the head coaches, I mean, the head coach is pointing a finger at the front office and vice versa, or the owner, the, the ownership is having an issue with the, the, the head coach, or there's a player holdout or player squabble. And I would say the same thing when I was with Washington. Um, 
that was definitely the first time that everybody's getting along at least we we think we know from what we hear so that that's to me ben that's really good because when you've got good people like in cleveland andrew barry and kevin stefanski you couldn't get more even keel people but you couldn't get any better people who are just like this all the time and ronnie ron rivera is like this he's a perfect guy to calm the storm and uh you know, you get Scott Turner in there, who's done a great job as their OC, and Jack Dario is one of the better D coordinators in the league and was the last uh, Raider, head co- Raider head coach to, to get him in the playoffs. So, look, they, they, he's got a good staff. Ron's done it. Ron's done a good job here you know, so far. I know the record wasn't what they wanted last year, but you know what? They're on the up and up here. This defense is top three, if not best, in the National Football League. It's I'll, I'll end it here with Washington where I started it. it how Fitz goes, this team goes. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable take. All right, you're on the record. You're saying the Giants are going to win the division. We're going to remember that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. No, I know. no. Look, like I said, <laughs> I think three teams could get it. There's a lot of variables. Um, and if it's such a weird year for Washington, by the time they face anybody except for the Giants in week two, I, I can't even begin to imagine what the world will look like in whatever that is, week 12 or 13 or whenever they start that run. Uh, it'll be wild that, that their schedule works out like that. Uh, Adam, where can people find you? Like I said, you're kind of all over the place. Where can people find you uh, if they want to get your insight? All right, so Kaplan NFL on Twitter, C-A-P-L-E-N NFL. And, oh, this weekend, uh, I will be in Houston calling the uh, American Flag Football League uh, semifinals and finals, uh, which you could get. Uh, will nice. be on YouTube and Facebook. And also, uh, the CBS uh, Sports Network version will be done with Will Blackman, former Washington football team player, I believe, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. He was here. Will and Dave Ryan will call um, the men's finals. I They haven't given my schedule yet, but I have a ballpark idea. And we also are going to have the ladies' finals and semifinals. And by the way, I interviewed a lot of these ladies. I was in a production meeting uh, earlier this week. They play Most of them play tackle football. So I can't wait to see their games. This is the, oh, the flag. They're flagged, by the way. But uh, it's exciting. Flag football, I did not realize, Ben, how big it is in our country. And it's this league, the AFFL. You go to their website, AFFL.com. Um, they do seven-on-seven, seven, which you know because you go to practice. Every NFL practice is seven-on-seven seven football. Yeah, yeah. No, sevens-on-seven is a wide – it's a wide open. It feels like an NBA uh, play because exactly. it's a yep. wide open. You guys can uh, have a lot of space to to uh, to create. Um, well, that's interesting. Uh, hope, hope people check that out. Adam, I really appreciate it as always. And uh, we'll see. The NFC least, uh, somebody's going to have to win it. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Many thanks to Adam Kaplan for his time. Uh, many thanks to everybody here for checking out the podcast and, of course, subscribing both to the podcast and to The Athletic. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks to everybody also who dropped the rating and the review. Um, more to come this week. There's a game, obviously, on Saturday. We'll figure out uh, some more podcasts. I've already got a bunch of guests um, lined up. So excited to get those out to you for sure. But that's it for now here on the standard room only podcast until next time. See ya.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.